You're listening to the CIPD podcast series. Welcome to the podcast. This time we're focusing on migrant workers from the EU. Now we all know their numbers are rising, but what impact is this having on the UK workforce? Well, joining me to assess that is Gerwin Davis, Public Policy Advisor at the CIPD, Alex Glenny, Senior Research Fellow at the Institute for Public Policy Research, and Sinead Lawrence, Senior Policy Advisor at the CBI. Now, Gerwin, just before we get into a wider discussion, can we do a bit of scene setting? Because we're recording this in a week where we've been hearing that immigration is now the topic of most concern to voters. We're talking today about EU immigrants. How many have we seen come into the UK in the past decade? Well, we now have a situation where 1.75 million people are employed in UK organisations that are EU migrants, and that is roughly double what it was 10 years ago. So we've seen a big meteoric rise uh, during that period, and a big reason for that, of course, is enlargement, which was a decision taken by the Labour government to accept uh, countries from Eastern Europe, such as Poland and Slovakia, uh, which allowed them unrestricted access to the UK labour market. Okay. Are we taking more than other Eurozone countries? We are, and that's partly due to that decision. We were one of three countries, the other two being Sweden and the Republic of Ireland, to accept them in 2004. And, of course, uh, the UK, being the largest economy of those three, uh, accepted a disproportionately large number. And what we've seen as a result is not just a high number of migrants coming from those countries in 2004, but we've actually seen a very a, a, a concentration grow because... Migrants that have come in have referred their relatives or friends to their own employers and networks have built up over that time. I think it's fair to say employers have largely welcomed them, haven't they? Most of them have found work. Yes, they have. And it's noticeable how the employment rate of EU migrants has increased uh, during that period. Uh, Ten years ago, their employment rate was 62%. It's now 81%. It's among the highest of all nationalities. And it just shows how valuable they have been to UK employers. And I think there is a general perception that most of the work is low-grade, but that's not entirely the case, is it? No. We've seen an increase in the number of highly skilled, uh, mid-skilled and low-skilled, but it's definitely true that the highest proportion of migrants, EU in particular, are in low-skilled jobs. We know that uh, more than one in five jobs in the UK now is occupied uh, by a low-skilled migrant, and a disproportionate number of those are EU8 Okay, now we'll talk about this in more detail in a moment, but how big a factor has that been then for UK job seekers? Well, that's uh, up for for debate and and there are lots of uh, varied opinions about this. But if you look at the employment rate, which is the central measure uh, used by economists to judge what impact it's had, the UK employment rate has remained fairly stable, uh, which suggests that perhaps it hasn't had uh, that much of an impact, although we have seen uh, EU employment rates go up during that period. But it is interesting to note that young people's employment rate has actually fallen uh, during that period. And it's even more interesting because uh, we know that young people are employed in the same roles, in the same sectors uh, as migrants. And that, combined with a squeezing out of mid-level skilled jobs, uh, means that uh, there are far fewer jobs to compete for among a a far larger pool of applicants. So this has particularly been an issue for young, unskilled British workers? Yes, we also know from uh, various international evidence, not least the OECD, that our young people, uh, the basic skills of our young people uh, don't match um, favourably with our international counterparts. In contrast, our um, older people do. 
Uh, so we do have a long tail of people with basic skills. So you've all heard of the term NEETS and, and the number uh, high number of those in the UK. And it's unsurprising, therefore, to see that they are perhaps missing out on jobs compared with uh, what are often a lot older and uh, highly qualified uh, graduates from the uh, European Union. Okay. And there's also been a suggestion, hasn't there, that I think probably right at the bottom of that, um, of the job market, that EU immigrants have driven down wages. The evidence of that is a, is, a, is a lot more limited. And of course, we have protection in the form of the national minimum wage, which employers have to adhere to. However, as the Migration Advisory Committee recently pointed out, the actual enforcement of that policy is is, re- is relatively poor. Uh, the, the very slim prospect of an employer actually getting inspected. Uh, so, whether but there's no evidence to suggest, certainly as far as the CIPD is concerned, because every employer that we've interviewed has said that they follow the minimum wage, and and, and actually there's no difference whatsoever between uh, migrants and UK workers employed in exactly the same role. But I suppose the possibilities there in a greyer part of the economy that unscrupulous employers might be paying below. Absolutely. OK. Well, let's widen this out now and bring um, Alex and Sinead in. And I think it'd be interesting to know what, how you all feel the landscape, the employment landscape generally is changing as these EU migrant numbers rise. I think we've seen huge changes to the labour market which aren't simply driven by EU migration but actually wider changes to do with the level of skill required for jobs, young people are staying in education longer, older people are staying in the workforce longer. So there's lots of structural changes um, and we need to look at migration as part of that and not think that it's simply the driver of um, changes in the labour market. Alex, what do you reckon? I would agree with that. Um, You know, The labour market has been changing, migration has been a part of it. Um, but migrants are coming because the UK's labour market is so flexible. Um, they're not all coming to, to take jobs from British workers. So Yeah, there was Gowen's been saying they've been very successful, haven't they, in finding work. Is it possible to say what they bring to an employer that perhaps British workers don't? There are a whole range of reasons uh, why um, employers uh, do take them on. Uh, one is, is, is the perception, at least among some, that they have a, a greater work ethic. Uh, that's not perhaps been borne out in our evidence as much as uh, has been uh, at least argued by, by by some academics. The skill set is is an interesting one, and especially the softer skills, so customer service skills, uh, teamwork, and basic respect and courtesy, both for customers but also for your colleagues, has emerged as a big issue uh, in in this research, and that relates to uh, the, the big buzzword in HR, which is which is about values. So, are migrants uh, embracing values in a way perhaps that some uh, UK uh, workers uh, aren't. Some employers are telling us that that's the case. It is interesting, isn't it, this idea I mean, of, of aligning the values of your workers with the organisation that you know, generally on all sorts of levels you get a better outcome if you do that. I don't know what you think, Sinead, and obviously you know, CBI, you represent employers. Have you had a sense that they're finding this and that this is predisposing them in favour perhaps of looking at people who are perhaps more culturally aligned with their organisations? I think something which comes out from our research is that employers think school leavers and young people don't have enough understanding of how the world of work operates and maybe that fits in with values and thinking about what's the workplace like, um, how can I succeed in that environment and obviously employers have got a big role to play in helping to develop that understanding. It's not something we can leave 
to the education system alone. Yeah, I mean, is that an age thing as well? Because go and you were saying, weren't you, that they, these people they tend to be that bit older. Obviously, we learn those skills, don't we, with age? Uh, absolutely. It's it's in fact the, the conclusion that we've reached uh, in, in our research. It's not about nationality. It's entirely about about age and uh, and qualifications. And you do pick up those employability skills as you go through your career. I you know I, I think of myself as a, as a nineteen year old wet behind the ears you know graduate and I'm embarrassed almost by the, the employability skills I had then and obviously I've picked them up over time. And if you think about the profile of these workers they do tend to be highly motivated you know they've made the decision to migrate to another country which yes. is not an easy thing to do. So they're a self-selecting group in the first exactly. place. Exactly so they? they're coming to, to seek work uh, they might have a job lined up already they tend to be slightly older in their mid-20s they will have had some experience already and they have this strong level of motivation which is something that employers really respond to. One of the things that seems to be coming out of the research reports is that perhaps immigrants, perhaps unsurprisingly, aren't so preoccupied with career progression in the jobs that they're looking for. And of course, there has been the suggestion that, you know, young Brits are a bit slow to accept jobs where they don't see a direct line of progression. I don't know whether any of you feel that you've seen that. Well, I think I think the evidence is is mixed. What, we, what we've also seen is is that migrants actually feel very frustrated with with their prospects. I think a lot of them have come over as graduates perhaps with an initial expectation to just maybe stay here for a, a short while. But actually, with with so many people, including myself, being based in London, when I considered 20 years ago I was only going to be here for three years, you stay, you build up a network, and you try to forge a career. Do you think, Sinead, there's any possibility people are are taking, you know, is this a way of cutting training budgets, to put it boldly? Because um, it does, if, you, if you're not looking at people with a long-term career progression in mind, you can just take them on and not spend that sort of resource on them, can't we? We don't actually see the evidence that people are, are limiting their training budgets and, and bringing in fully formed workers. No. Um, people want to develop their staff. Um, many places have individualised training. They want to offer these opportunities. They want to offer progression. So it's just about how do we explain to people from the UK and from elsewhere, how to access that training, how to make the most of those opportunities for progression. And I don't think this is an either or. Can I just add to that? I think one of the real finds of this research is that it does quash that idea that employers are recruiting migrants because they are off-the-shelf, ready-made graduates, uh, which avoid their responsibilities to to train their staff. Actually, the reverse is true. Uh, What we've found is a relationship between formal training provision, and what I mean by that is apprenticeships, internships, work experience, and hiring migrants. So if you are, if you hire migrants or employ migrants, you're much more likely to offer those formal training schemes than you are if you don't. I think that's a really important conclusion. So there's no sense in which employers are actively preferring EU immigrants, they're just the right people for the job. In the vast majority of cases, I would argue that's definitely the case, that is a result of normal activity that was a recurrent message from employers to us that they're simply recruiting the best person for the job. However, it's certainly the case that in a minority of cases, employers are actively recruiting migrants from overseas. And do we know why they're doing that? Simply they just can't find the staff. So we're seeing, for instance, uh, NHS hospitals can't find enough nurses. So obvious countries at the moment, for obvious reasons, are Portugal, Spain and Italy because the unemployment rate is so high there. And it's interesting you say that employers are favouring workers with that degree of skill because I think perhaps in the past it's fair to say they favoured unskilled or low-skilled immigrant workers because they had better attrition rates than UK workers in those really low-grade jobs. 
But this is something else, isn't it? Yes, but it also underlines the, the dividend that EU migrants uh, bring to employers across, across the skills spectrum. They are very positive about the contribution that uh, EU migrants make. And it really does uh, call into question any calls from politicians for more stringent conditions to be imposed on uh, EU migrants, and in particular that free movement of labour principle. Yeah, I mean, this is the interesting question, isn't it? It's a big issue in the run-up to the general election. We'll hear a lot more about it. I'd be interested to know what your respective organisations think government policy should be on this. Well, at IPPR, we've been doing quite a lot on the government's migration policy, specifically related to EU migrants. The current government has a net migration target, so they're trying to reduce net immigration levels to below the hundreds of thousands every year. Uh, But they're trying to do this through tweaks to the benefit system, which in our view are not going to have any impact on the numbers. Most EU migrants are coming for work or for study. They're not coming simply to live off the state. So in our view, the approach taken has, you know, it's not going to get the government to where they want to be in terms of their stated policy, but it's also not going to do anything to deal with some of the other issues we've been talking about. Yes, I mean, as we said, most of these people are employed, aren't they? So benefit changes don't impact on them at all. Exactly. And as we heard with the announcement this week, no one seems very clear what the numbers are on this anyway. Even government can't give us statistics on how many would be affected by reducing the benefit um, capacity. So, as you say... Yeah, so in our view, that you know... the government policy should be much more focused on improving skills, on identifying those people who are out of work in the UK who need additional support and focusing the efforts there, as well as on addressing some of the social impacts of migration that people are concerned about. What's the CBI's position? I think it's important for us to remember that free movement of labour is just part of the free market in Europe and that offers huge benefits for the UK, for the UK economy and for people um, creating jobs, attracting inward investment and also the freedom for people that we can also move anywhere in the EU and get a job. And that's a great freedom for us as well about building skills, um, attracting investment, creating jobs. And it's important to remember many migrants coming into the country are actually generating jobs and creating work for British people too. And like you say, Alex, then making sure our skill system, our education system equips uh, the UK people and young people to compete for work is, is really important alongside that. I mean, obviously, we have a skills cap for non-EU immigrants. Should we be looking at that for EU workers as well? In our view, that would sort of undermine the principle of the freedom of movement. If you start imposing caps, then you have to think about how many and from which countries, and that really would, under, you know, would call for the UK to, to withdraw from the EU, essentially, mm. if you're going to start going Very down that to route. Achieve. Yes. Mm. Has been mooted. Yes. The challenge is on, on raising the skill levels of, of UK young people in particular. And I think there are some things that they could be looking to tweak. What we're seeing is a disproportionately high number of apprenticeships that are going to people aged 25 and above. It's over 40%. And some of those are actually going to migrants. So government needs to look at perhaps creating a financial incentive or two in order for more apprentices to be aged 25 and under. Obviously, we've heard a lot about youth unemployment over the last few years, and certainly during the economic downturn. We've, we're seeing better numbers now. But so much has played into this. Have we developed as a nation into a, a group of employers who largely are a bit reluctant to take on young workers? They're just seen as a bit of a problem rather than an opportunity. Well, certainly the evidence suggests that that is the case, but it's about perception rather than reality. What we also know from from the evidence is that employers are very happy with the graduates and school leavers that they they take on. So it's about changing the perception 
of the performance of, of, of UK young people rather than the reality. Would you agree with that, Sinead? I think building up the relationships between employers and schools and colleges and universities is a really good way to do that. We have been talking about this for a long time, haven't we? More engagement between employers and young people. Are we, are we really going to see it happen? It's a long-running issue, and I think reforming the school system to really get every young person leaving school with the attitudes, the attributes, the skills to succeed is, is still a challenge, but we're moving in the right direction. I think perhaps what we have talked a lot less about is the role of further education colleges. And I think specifically within the context of some of the sectors we're talking about, hotels, catering and leisure uh, being a case in point, a number of employers said that they had no relationship with them when they were courses that were directly related to, to their work. And that seems to be a missed opportunity that's actually recognised by employers what's missing is a degree of ownership and what we're currently considering is perhaps some onus on FE colleges to actually provide not just the careers advice but that sort of progression into employment. And the time is now isn't it? I'm thinking you know we've got eight more candidate countries hoping to join the EU that's what a combined population of over 90 million. This isn't going to go away is it? So now is the time for us to pour this resource and thinking into how we're going to upskill young people in terms of abilities as well as hard skills to actually compete. Absolutely, and of course the labour market is improving massively as well. So at the moment, employers have been quite lucky in the sense that they've had a supply of, of labour, whereas it could be soon upon us where we have a situation where the labour market becomes very tight. And therefore, the message from us is that employers really need to start not just addressing some of these issues, but actually investing a lot more in their own staff if we're to avoid that skill shortage scenario that uh, many of us now fear in the future. Thank you all very much indeed. Sinead, Alex, Gowen, thanks. You've been listening to the CIPD podcast series. 